Hello and welcome to Cryptids Decrypted. If this is your first time here, my name is Ashton McCauley. I am your host. I am a writer. I wrote some books that are fictional about cryptids, and I thought, you know what? That gives me the authority to make a non-fiction podcast about cryptids. Uh, you know, sometimes these things just work out. So anyways, here we are. I have a podcast. This is it. Before we get into the show today, uh, because this is a podcast and we don't have any sponsors other than myself, I'm just going to relentlessly plug my own shit some more. So hey, if you're looking for Christmas presents that are not affected by the supply chain, uh, assuming that you are, of course, in the domestic U.S. or Canada, hey, why not buy some great books from an independent author. The Nick Ventner Adventures are a series that is reminiscent of Indiana Jones if he drank a little too much whiskey and there was a few more monsters. And you know what? It doesn't have that bullshit fourth film that we don't want to talk about. There are currently two and a half books in the series. Uh, we've got Whiteout, where Nick chases a Yeti through the Himalayas. It's great. It's got his rival Manchester. Uh, large mountains, gunfights, spirits, whatever. If you if you like, I don't know, if any of that sounds interesting to you, go ahead and check it out. You can go to macashton.com shop. You can buy it there. Or, you know what? If you want to support Jeff Bezos, get him to space another time. You can find it on Amazon, too. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty much everywhere. Downpour, sequel to that book, takes place. Central American jungle. There's plane crashes, okay? We've got Scotsmen living in the jungle. There's giant shitty river snakes. There's the land of the dead. Literally anything you could possibly want. You know, I don't know. If, if you don't want that, I don't really know what you want in a book. So maybe maybe go out and buy that. Both of those as a gift set, you know, probably great to give to your mom. You know, I know that you haven't bought your mom a gift yet. And this is, this is the way to send the message that you really care, I think. Finally, I said there's a half book that is A Man of the Mountain. It is about somebody in the Pacific Northwest who dresses up as Bigfoot to keep the myth alive. And, you know, as it is a bloody myth... They kill some people, and so that's it's about that and the tabloid reporter that comes on hunting them, and of course Nick Ventner shows up at some point. You know, all that, probably very confusing pitch, very long-winded to say, hey, please go buy my books. Uh, it's a great way to support me. Other than that, if you like the podcast, rate us, uh, subscribe if that's an option, and, you know, let us know on Twitter. We are at, at Cast Decrypted, so uh, let us know. And without, without that, let's get into it. We're talking about the Flatwoods Monster today. So welcome back, season four of Cryptids Decrypted. Today we're talking about another fan suggestion, the Flatwoods Monster. Uh, now this is something I am coming to completely blind, and I'm I'm curious, John, had had you heard of the Flatwoods Monster before we started researching this today? Never. Um, I also did not realize West Virginia is apparently a hotbed for cryptids. So that yeah. was an interesting find for me. Cryptids, UFOs, conspiracies, like there's a lot of stuff in West Virginia, and yeah, I, I had no idea. And this is like a this is a, a big fucking deal in the cryptids community. Like Flatwoods Monster is is one of the big ones. And I, I had honestly just never heard of it. So this is going to be great. And I think the story's right up our alley, to be honest. Might uh, might Nick Ventner make a yeah. trek to West Virginia one of these days to oh, check in sure. on the Flatwoods Monster and the Mothman? I feel, I feel like he's just going to go to the, he's going to go to West Virginia and just chill. These, these seem like pretty chill cryptids, honestly. Uh, on the, In the grand scheme of things, I guess Mothman, like, he could accidentally be heralding destruction. We don't know that's on purpose. I mean, you could do a Freddy vs. Jason type thing. Yeah, and then throw in, like, uh, the Jersey Devil, you know? Get, get, it. Get, get them in the mix. Devil went down to West Virginia. He was looking for a cryptid to steal. Oh my god, there it is. That should be our new theme. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get my banjo out and start recording. 
But, all right, let's get into it. So, the story of the Flatwoods Monster, it dates back to September 12th, 1952. Very specific origin on this myth, because it all dates back to the first sighting. So, it starts at around 7 p.m. Ed and Freddie May were uh, 12 and 13 year old brothers playing in a schoolyard with a friend when they noticed a light streak across the sky. Uh, They watched as the light arced down and eventually crashed in the direction of a nearby farm on top of a hill. Now, being good boys, uh, they went and grabbed an adult first and then went to check out where they had seen the crash. They run up the hill to where where this, uh, whatever you want to call this, light in the sky came down and at the top they see a pulsating red light. Uh, They smell a pungent mist and then somebody shines a flashlight uh, towards the uh, towards the crater, and they see a creature with a massive hood and glowing red eyes staring back at them. And because they aren't dummies in a horror movie, they all ran back down the hill to safety and told their story to the local news. And this story has a bunch of variations on it, so I'll get to those in a minute, but I just want to start with what the copy was in the paper the next day. So seven Braxton County residents on Saturday reported seeing a 10-foot Frankenstein-like monster in the hills above Flatwoods. A National Guard member, 17-year-old Gene Lemon, was leading a group when he saw what appeared to be a pair of bright eyes in a tree. Lemon screamed when he saw a 10-foot monster with blood-red body and green face that seemed to glow. He fell backward. It may have had claws for hands, but it was hard to tell because of the dense mist uh, and likely uh, due to the fact that a huge object had probably just crashed into the earth. So you're thinking like debris and stuff is still in the air and there's like dirt kicked up and... Dust yeah, everywhere. and you know, I'm not positive, but I would not be surprised if meteors think. Well, it's it's coming in and burning ozone and all those types of things. Like, that, that makes a lot of sense that you would have metals in the meteor that, you know, are superheated because they're breaking through the atmosphere. Yeah, and it's burning up a bunch of farm dirt, which is probably full of, like, manure and shit. So, like, you've got that, you've got burning ozone, which I think smells like rotten eggs. I don't know, like, I wouldn't be surprised. And there, there's a lot of association with the smell of brimstone, which is, I think brimstone is the one that smells like rotten eggs. So there's a lot of association with association with brimstone and demons and devils and shit. So I wouldn't be. Su- yeah, fire and brimstone. Yeah, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if like 1950s people smell stinky mist and it starts to like, just, I don't know, get the hairs on the back of the neck going. But some accounts say the creature glided and hissed at the group. But I haven't found any great substantiation of that other than a UFO writer named Gray Barker. And talk about him a little bit in a minute. Uh, But the next day, there were no traces of the creature. Uh, Somebody did find skid marks where the object had landed and a strange gummy deposit, which sounds like ectoplasm to me. So maybe we're dealing with a ghost. The one account of that evening, or or sorry, sorry, that is just one account of the evening. But for the most part, the the origin stories are pretty similar. Basically, they just get more out, they're more outlandish variations on the same thing. So a couple of descriptions of the creature. These also vary pretty widely, but they all describe a tall humanoid creature with glowing eyes. Gray Barker, the UFO writer I mentioned, who I don't think he was there. I think he just interviewed a bunch of people about it and managed to write a book and a whole lot about this. But he said the creature was 10 feet tall with a round blood red face and a large pointed hood shape uh, that kind of went around it like a cobra and greenish orange light emitting from eye-like shapes, not eyes. I like shapes. It's unclear how he became a writer because, Jesus Christ, that description is awful. Well, anybody can be a writer. It doesn't make him a good writer, Ashley. True. And uh, just a tip to y'all, if you're describing eyes as I like shapes, don't. You might want to take that one back to the drawing board. There, there's a word for that. It's it's spelled E-Y-E-S. Yeah, yeah they're just 
eyes. Gray Barker might sound familiar because he's also responsible for linking bridge collapses with the Mothman, which we touched on briefly in our American Folklore uh, Cryptid Royale at the end of season two. But I, I honestly, after reading this, I think we have to go back and give Mothman a full episode because there's a lot. There's a, there's a lot about the Mothman. But he's also famous for one other invention, the Men in Black. So <laughs> related to the Flatwoods monster, uh, Gray Barker wrote a story about men posing as journalists going into Flatwood to get more information about the creature. But of course, they were actually secret government agents. And he is single-handedly responsible for this idea of Men in Black, which eventually led to the fantastic Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones movie. But I thought that was interesting that that kind of stems back to this group of myths. Interesting. I, I wouldn't have guessed that came from this. I would have guessed that would have been all from aliens. Yeah, well, I mean, this is kind of an alien myth, depending on who you ask. Okay, I mean, it does involve a... Well, we'll get we'll get, we'll get get there. Uh, but the day after the first incident, reporters associated with the civilian saucer investigation, which I assume is the better CSI, uh, is a <laughs> publication about UFOs. They went and interviewed a bunch of people. They found a mother and daughter who had encountered the creature before, which, uh, John, I think you're going to get to that in sightings probably, so I won't go too... Uh, in deep with that but basically they also interviewed the wife of the farmer where where this thing crash landed and she reported that the house shook and they lost radio connection and the following morning she saw a saucer take off so i think it's pretty clear we're dealing with some aliens here yeah and and, i mean you you covered most of the sightings right there there weren't a ton of details besides that but the only other one was uh director of the local board of education claimed to have seen a flying saucer taking off the morning after the incident um September 13th. And yeah, the uh, they, they said the house was shaking something fierce. Yeah. The mother of the farmer. Yeah, there was... Uh, the, the other interesting thing is this is all based around theoretically a UFO crashing, right? The mother and her 21-year-old daughter claimed to have seen something similar to the Flatwoods monster a week prior to the incident. So that's one that is kind of an offshoot because if we, if we think this is an alien that crash landed and then took off... Where was the crash or did it just have a regular landing, not a rough landing a week prior and it was just dicking around and scoping the scene out? Maybe it uh, maybe it hit some birds, John. It hit some birds and then there was no Hudson to go down in. So they went down on a farm instead. This is this is the alien equivalent of Sully right right here. <laughs> Got it. OK, that that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and they never they never recovered a body so yeah should we call them well i guess that's they did better than the roswell aliens did i guess that's probably why they call him braxy huh so it's like kind of like sully yeah yeah exactly i think that's honestly that's the part of this myth that no one's talking about is the relationship to sully sullenberger but you know uh comparisons aside god damn it Ash. i think uh another thing that's worth mentioning about that other incident with the daughter was apparently she was so badly shaken that she was in the hospital for three weeks Oh, yeah, like, I did forget about that part. That's right. Which is like, so, I mean, like, and, and they talked a little bit about what they saw. I think were they the ones that described it as a reptilian. Um, which, I believe what, so. What yeah, yeah, this, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. It, it's upper half was reptilian. Yeah, which is like, I don't know, maybe, maybe what they saw. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, sorry. Sorry. That was uh, the day after the incident. A couple taking a leisurely drive through the mountains of Frametown, West Virginia, uh, were met with a similarly horrific experience. Their car came to a sudden stop. It refused to start again. And then they smelled this putrid sulfuric odor. Um, they were trying to figure out why the car was stopped and was circling the vehicle. And they spotted something that was from the waist down, similar to the Flatwoods monster, but from the waist up, it was a reptilian humanoid. 
Now that monster is technically known as the Frametown monster, not the Flatwoods monster. Yeah, weirdly, they they probably didn't get to cash in nearly as much on that though. No, they uh, don't have a museum dedicated to the Frametown monster. And like, uh, I think is it you know, hey, maybe it was wearing a suit the night of the crash in Flatwoods. Like that, that's it's a that was its flight suit, and then the other day it had it off because it was just going for a walk. Probably, it didn't crash a week earlier. It didn't crash the day after. I love and am terrified by the part of UFO myths where cars just suddenly go haywire. Like the radio starts going nuts and the lights go nuts. Like that is a, uh, I don't know, that is that is a trope that still terrifies me when it happens in movies to this day. And I, I just, I like it. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a fun one. Well, but I, I think it also makes a lot of sense if you've got a UFO that uses different kind of technology to take off and to hover. Because think of like, Think of how, at least in movies and what we've seen, like UFOs are able to hover over the ground without disturbing stuff below it. Like um, a Harrier jet has to actually move its thrusters underneath it to stay hovering. And that just fucks up what's ever beneath it because you're shooting a ton of air down and thrusters down. But with a UFO, I would think it'd be some kind of magnetic field or something along those lines to counteract. It's always magnets. Yeah, it's always magnets. And I'm, I'm, I'm currently reading Red Rising in that series that I'm like, I have sci-fi fresh in the mind, but that would fuck up a lot of electronics and vehicles and those types of things and probably radio waves. Super interesting. We, we've talked a lot about the, the sightings and what kind of kicked off this myth, but I want to talk about what it maybe was. So no one knows for sure because it was the 1950s and people did not have cell phones to snap a quick video or picture with. Uh, and if this happened today, you can guarantee you there would be some Chad live streaming it and telling people to like and subscribe. You'd be like, yo, I just found a monster up on this hill. We're going to go check it out. You know, like, dude, come on, guys, we're going live. But the going theory is that it was a fucking barn owl. <laughs> so I think at this point we will have posted a picture of a barn owl on our Twitter and our Instagram, and if you were confused by that, is because i that's what people think this monster was, and barn owls are kind of a little creepy. There was a show, I think it was, I think it was called Taken, it was by Steven Spielberg. John, have you seen, have you seen that show? No, I, I mean, there's, there's a show called Taken, but it's, it's weirdly based on the movie Taken with Liam oh, Neeson. really? They made a TV series out of that, yeah, it, it, they, they made two more movies that they should have. Um, the first one was really good and then they just kept redoing it where the wife keeps getting taken and then they made a TV series about it, which I just, this is where we're at. This is our, this is our society. Yeah. So I can, I can confirm it is a Steven Spielberg series called Taken. It was a mini series on sci-fi back in the day. It was very good. If you like stuff about G-Men and aliens, I highly recommend it. Uh, it is Spielberg at his best. And I think it was that or another movie called The Third Kind. But either way, one of them involved barn owls uh, being being heralds of aliens. So I think I've just got this grudge against barn owls now. And this just kind of doubles it up. Because they're, they're creepy looking fucks. Now, so again, no one can know for sure. Uh, but the most likely explanation is that a meteor did legitimate... Did, so if we're assuming this incident actually happened. Uh, a meteor crash landed on the farm. And then a silhouette of a barn owl already kind of creepy mixed with the glowing rubble and the stinky smoke looked like an alien because they show they shone a light at it and you know like the with the smoke and everything it could have seemed bigger so if that shit like came flying out of you in the middle of smelly meteor dust like i i would freak out too because i'm already scared that a meteor just crash landed 
and it's the 1950s, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's another theory. This one also feels pretty likely, and that is that the entire incident was a tourism stunt, and that there never was a meteor. Uh, just because they, it's it's too much of a cash cow and too convenient. I wanted to talk about why this myth. Uh, like, why did this take hold when, I don't know, like the... Which when anything else maybe didn't. And the 1950s were a sci-fi heyday for a lot of reasons. Uh, the Cold War is getting started up, especially the early 1950s. Uh, and like with it came this distrust in government, uh, rise in espionage thrillers and secret technology. The recent use of the first atomic bombs and promises of like world-ending technology gave rise to the idea that the basically the world was being run by mad scientists because it's like, okay, if we can level an entire city with a bomb, like what what else can happen and it didn't help that it was around that time that the soviets also did their first uh successful nuclear missile test mm-hmm. so this was like starting to get into duck and cover times and like you know the world could end at any minute and generally all of that put us in this huge state of technological change and as a result this is when like huge like ufos really blew up and this this hit at the at the time there was a Life Magazine article, which, like, Life Magazine, not necessarily known for doing a ton of stuff about UFOs, but whenever they did, it usually got big. And for those who don't know, uh, so a magazine is like a website that comes in the mail every month, uh, and, and you would have to, you'd have to wait for it, and then pick it up and read the whole thing. It was a, phys- it was a physical thing you held in your hands. I, it, I know, it's pretty wild. Really, that Life article had some suspicious timing. Because the UFO special was published in April of 1952, just five months before the first Flatwoods monster sighting. And this wasn't life's first foray with UFOs, but it was incredibly popular. It's not like we have a specific movie coming out to blame this time, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was something to do with UFO fever. And like, I don't know. I So I've seen a meteor come down. It's terrifying. Like I was driving home from a Mariners game. I've probably told the story on the podcast before, but like, big flaming green ball coming over the freeway and breaking up like yeah i get it if i did not have an explanation for what that was like i would be freaking the fuck out too so makes sense to me yeah you'd think it was the rapture or something for sure yeah yeah yeah. and if like life had run a story about ufos i'd be like oh yeah little green men shit okay <laughs> like let's, let's round up a posse let's go get them because i think god when, when was roswell uh, it was the 60s, right? I was not here for that episode, unfortunately. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm 1947. Okay, I was way so, off. Okay, so this, yeah, I, I had a feeling it was earlier because Roswell. So Roswell is another thing that kicked off UFO fever. So I guess at this point, it had been going strong for a bit. So that's that is the origin of the Flatwood Monster, John. Well, what do you what do you got for us? Well, we covered sightings, and I think the interesting thing is for something that has such a giant following and all of this just merchandise made for it outside of that one week stretch in 1952 there really is nothing um and maybe that's because it's easy to justify it was an alien it flew away came down it visited for a night it partied didn't knock anybody up so that was good the 50s were an interesting time and then it flew away I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of this creature's mythology. Well, I mean, maybe it didn't knock up a human, but there is that reptilian humanoid that... Eh. You know, maybe it had very fast gestation with a frog. We don't know. I was thinking... Anything's possible, baby. A snake or a, uh, 
alligator in West Virginia? I don't know. But that's one of the major things that jumps out at me. Typically with our other cryptids, we see them pop up time and time again, um, at least over, you know, like 10 or 15 years. But then again, and we've highlighted this a few times, cryptids seem to have uh, like a golden age in the 40s and 50s. Um, and I think that's just mainly due to being before the information age, before we had a lot of national news and those types of things. And then they've had a resurgence in the last 10 or 20 years as people, you know, made TV shows and those types of things. Like, let's be real. There's a reason cryptids have had the resurgence they have outside of, you know, the obvious ones like Bigfoot kicked off by Harry and the Hendersons. I think like the History Channel is responsible for a lot of that. And I know we're, I mean, we're about to watch that big Bigfoot documentary as for our next episode. But I think like, oh, man, I just spoiled it. Oh, boy. Uh, but uh, God damn it, Ashton. Yeah. I know, I know. I can't stop leaking things. Basically Tom Holland. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that comparison. But I do think it's interesting. You're way more handsome than him, though. Yeah, I, that, I mean, that's what that's what my mom says, and I trust her. Uh, she's got a good opinion on that, I'm sure. But for, like, cryptids like this specifically, like, it reminds me of the Loveland Frogman. But even the Frogman had that one recent Pokemon Go-related sighting, right? Where the people were yeah. out playing Go... And then they saw the frogman. It's kind of interesting when it's these moneymaker myths. Yeah. And I mean, talking about that, as we discussed a little bit earlier, the Flatwoods monster has a museum dedicated to it in Sutton, West Virginia, that started out as the Braxton County Visitor Center. Um, and it started out as a single shelf dedicated to the Flatwoods monster. And then it, it just kind of grew and grew and grew and eventually took over an entire room there. And then they rebranded it to be the Flatwoods uh, Monster Museum. They have a giant collection there that was donated entirely by local artists and collectors from all of this kind of fan and artist made renderings they have funnily enough like five giant chairs that are shaped to look like the flatlands monster the flatwoods monster yeah five giant five giant chairs that are like that are huge Hmm. which and this is kind of funny if uh if you photograph all five of them because they're like hidden around you get a free braxy sticker from the the visitor center now what what does braxy mean jim well Braxy is, you know, it's it's the Braxton County monster is another way to put it. Um, with this monster, yeah. it it has like three different names. It's the Flatwood monster, the Green monster, and and Braxy. Um, and think like Braxy is like Nessie or Tessie. I I think it's meant to just be a little more catchy. Um, when it comes to Braxy versus the Flatwoods monster and making it a lot more local to Braxton County. Um, so they can sell more merchandise, but that's just me being a very, very cynical person, and I apologize for that. Well, I mean, this is this myth does bring out the cynic in me as well, because they do. They make a bunch of money off of it. Like, there's uh, souvenirs, figurines, like, you name it. They sell a bunch of Flatwood Monster Again, merch. they built five tall chairs in the shape of the monster to serve as landmarks and construction in Braxton County. Yep. They look creepy. Like, if you go they, Google it, the chairs look fucking creepy. Yeah, we'll post some of those as well, because that's... I mean, that's too good not to share. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, the uh, the other thing is apparently this is this cryptid has a really big Japanese following, especially for a West Virginia cryptid. It has been reflected in a few different anime series throughout the years. Um, 
Sergeant Frog is one that comes to mind, has an alien representing it. I think that was in the 70s or 80s. And then it's it has a slew of video games that it's taken place in too. Space Harrier 2, there's a boss. Um, Wonderful 101 has a character that looks like it. There's a Pokemon that is like a dead ringer for it. Darudrit. Um, and if you go look at a picture of the uh, Flatwoods monster and then of this Pokemon, it's like, oh yeah, that's okay. I see the inspiration. Zelda Majora's Mask has a segment where aliens come down and invade a farm. And they are 100% based off the Flatwoods monster. Uh, and then the last thing is there are aliens that you can encounter in uh, a newer game called Fallout 76, which takes place in West Virginia. And those are also based off the Flatwood monster. So not just in Braxton County itself with merchandise, but you've actually seen a proliferation dating back to the late 80s, early 90s with Space Harrier 2, all the way to a game that came out just a few years ago. And that game also had Mothman in it, yes. too. They, they, they did good with their, their West Virginian lore when they made that. Probably about the only thing they did good with that game. People but seem to like it, man. They they fucked up a lot. It must, it must have they gotten better. They fucked up a lot. It, it, was, they, they must have it was fixed a buggy it. mess, and they made this huge deal of, you know what, we're not going to digress down a video games. I don't know if our audience even cares about that, but yeah, I, I've heard it's gotten better. Yeah. Yeah. I think they have, they have another cryptid besides the Mothman and um, the Flatwoods monster in it too. They have a, a few. Yeah. Well, and like we said earlier, you know, West Virginia is kind of a breeding ground for this stuff. I, I wonder if it's partially just the, the rural setting, like lots of opportunities to see weird shit. Yeah. I, I don't know, but I, I thought this one was really kind of, well, kind of fun just cause I love, I love myths about, you know, G-Men and aliens and shit. And I did, I can't believe I had never heard of it when it is, it is a huge deal down there. Like it's their version of the Jackalope, but yeah, I don't know that I, I struggle with that comparison. When you say the Jackalope, I guess that one is like pretty firmly rooted in a dude. Exactly. Exactly. A rabbit. Like, yeah. yes, it's super commercialized, but that they sell hunting permits well, for it. I know it. they do, and it, it's all those types of things. But, like, this, at least there was an actual sighting and not a dude fucking shitty taxidermied something and was like, look at this thing, and the lighting's super low and all this kind of stuff. Like An alleged sighting. Alleged sighting. We're not 100% sure that happened. So I guess, like, that that's my question. Ashton, we uh, do a podcast we on we... cryptids. Are we sure any of these happened? Oh, no, I mean, we're pretty sure most of them didn't. <laughs> But I guess like that's so that's my question for today, because like, you know, like rather than the is this myth bullshit, do you think the actual sighting happened with uh, the meteor? I hesitate because where did the meteor go? Did it fully burn off when it? Well, so they said they found skid marks and I could see if it was a pretty small because if it had been much bigger, that farm might have been toast. So like if it like broke up on impact. That could make sense. But you would think that they would have, like, somebody would have collected those rocks and sold them, right? As, like, pieces of the Flatwoods meteor. Unless the G-Men came in because it was an experiment or they wanted to get that rare metals. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. Well, the saucer got away as well, so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah, I... It sounds like a believable incident with the barn owl. Like, I... I highly believe that could have happened. But yeah, I do hesitate when I'm like, with how much this has been commercialized and shit, where are the pieces of that meteor? Like why people would be lining up to sell that shit. And you, yeah. you guarantee that like some cryptid collector would have pieces of those that meteor. Like, unless I guess like, yeah, it would have to be a meteor. Yeah. Well, but again, if you're a cryptid collector, 
you don't believe it was a meteor. You believe it was a UFO. So why would there be a meteor? Like it's a chicken and the egg thing there, right? Like if you would, well, it could have been pieces of the UFO though. Yeah, I guess I guess not. You would pick it up and you'd be like, this yeah. Because my thing is like if you call it meteor pieces, you're effectively saying, okay, well we we know the cryptid's not real, but this is the meteor that spawned the cryptid. And then if it's that scenario, like is it as impactful? Is it as valuable? I don't know. Something, uh, another interesting thing I was thinking about when you were talking about that museum cropping up, like, I don't know why we don't have that in Washington. Where the hell is our Bigfoot museum? Like, Seattle, I could see, I could see somebody making a shit ton of money off that here, opening up a Bigfoot museum. I know we have, like, there's the coffee shop where uh, Harry and the Hendersons was filmed, and they have, like, memorabilia strewn about. I, I wonder why nobody ever, like, just bought that building and turned it into an actual Bigfoot museum. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause like it's so for those who don't remember the building, it literally has the Bigfoot museum pointed at painted on the side of it because that is a plot point in Harry and the Hendersons, uh, that there is a Bigfoot museum. And somehow throughout this entire time, there is no, I, I'm going to, I'm going to Google it to make sure, but I have not, I've lived in Washington a while now and I have never, there, there's at least not a good, Bigfoot Museum anywhere near the Seattle area. Well, you would think that if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be the Pacific Northwest, not the Inland Northwest, like the Tri-Cities or Spokane, right? Yeah. And apparently there's one in California, but like, honestly, so somebody with investment money who listens here, uh, maybe those cryptocurrencies that keep harrying us to advertise uh, their spam coins, maybe invest in a Bigfoot Museum instead because... Like, people in Seattle are absolutely going to turn their nose at it and be like, oh, this is stupid. But they will go and they will pay $20 to get in. Or they'll like, buy merch. We could, Yeah. Fuck, dude. Like, even if it's just a merch shop that says museum on it, like, I don't know. Flatwoods Monster Museum is pretty small. But, like, I yeah, I'm shocked we don't have a Bigfoot museum. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of cool stuff you could display in there. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, get, I don't know, just get a good graphic design person to make some cool shit that people want. Yeah, we, we know one. He made our logo. Our logo is dope. It is, yeah. Like, and it, if you haven't yeah. seen our Instagram post about it, you can buy shirts. Yeah, you can buy shirts, and you can also follow at that generic soda on Twitter. He is the person who did the design work on our new logo, and uh, I don't know. I love it. I have it. I have it on a shirt. I have it on a mug. It's quite good. Why have you not sent me a mug? I don't know. I can. I love. I Put love my Christmas coffee list. mugs, dude. I can have that on my Zoom meetings because that's what our fucking life is right now. All right, bringing it back and wrapping it up. So I think that's that is about all I've got about the Flatwoods monster. I, I I enjoyed this myth a lot more than I thought it would. It is it is like a bit of a shallow pool, but I think it's got a pretty neat origin story and it's still very prevalent to this day. Yeah, no, I I think it's it's interesting to see how it's it's also proliferated throughout the years. Um, again, it's fascinating to me that we never had another sighting in kind of modern day, but this is a cryptid that's really held up and held its own throughout the years um, and didn't just kind of die off like a lot do after the 50s. Um, and then they need this resurgence, but having a museum dedicated to it certainly helps. Yeah, and honestly, like, lends a lot more veracity to it that it hasn't had more bullshit sightings. Like, it just has the one that was potentially an actual meteor That's crash. fair. So, like, it, it hasn't gotten diluted in that way. Uh, but, yeah. I don't know. That was that was a fun one. That's all I got. Awesome. That is all we have for our show today. Now, we are going to be back in another two weeks 
and we are doing a bit of an interesting one. We're going to be talking about a little non-fiction program that both John and I consumed that has to do with a cryptid for at least part of it. So that's that's the tease I'm going to give you. It will be out two weeks from today. And then after that, we're going to be taking a little holiday break because uh, at that point I will have been editing this podcast for like, you know, six weeks in a row and we'll have written a book for National Novel Writing Month. So I need a Need some time. And then we'll be back in January with the second half of the season where we're going to close things out strong with some myths that, honestly, we've we've kind of neglected. So, yeah. I don't know. Other than that, I'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye.